The title of my talk today is The Force of Blood. God in his love and wisdom chose to make us completely dependent on the force of blood. In the physical sense, but also in the spiritual. Physically, for example, if the heart stops in as little as three to eight seconds, there is complete loss of consciousness. And if the heart does not restart within four to six minutes, irreversible death to organs and vital brain cells occurs. We are literally dependent on every beat of our heart via the flow and pressure of our blood in our blood vessels every moment of our life. As it is written in Leviticus 17, 14, for the life of all flesh is its blood. And in our health class over the last four weeks, we looked not only at the harmful effects of the excess force of blood on our bodies as seen in high blood pressure, but we also looked at several God-given natural ways to improve it. Using the book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, we explored the no pressure solution to better blood pressures. We discussed nutrition. We discussed whole plant foods, water, physical activity, better sleep, fresh air and sunshine, stress management. We discussed friendships and faith and how a number of studies show that these improve blood pressure. But these topics are not the topics you historically hear about at your doctor's office when you see them for high blood pressure, do you? In, a, in fact, in a recent analysis of visits to the primary care physician for high blood pressure, those topics were not even mentioned. Medications were the only focus of treatment. For many, in fact, the focus on blood pressure medications is of such high importance that the more natural options get neglected by default. And so the simple options that may be much more important than we realize are treated as foolishness. And so you can imagine my delight when I ran into this study in the journal, Hypertension, I knew flaxseed was good for you, considering it's antidepressant, anti-inflammatory, joint-protecting, anti-atherogenic, anti-diabetic, anti-breast cancer, anti-prostate cancer, skin-improving effects, but the blood pressure-lowering properties were impressive. As you can see in this inset, perhaps it's a little small, Sorry about that. The systolic blood pressure was improved 10 points. The diastolic pressure was improved 7 points in the flaxseed group compared to the placebo. But if you just took those who had a systolic blood pressure greater than 140, the improvements were phenomenal. 15-point improvement in systolic blood pressure and 7-point improvement in diastolic uh, blood pressures over six months, and this was in a double-blind, randomized, controlled trial. 
They, it was double blind because they put the flaxseed ground into muffins and people had no idea if they were taking flaxseed or not. Amazing. Flaxseed. But seriously, can you imagine your doctor prescribing you flaxseed the next time you go in? Indeed, that which is foolish to man, thank you, is the power of God. As it is written in Holy Scripture, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You know, by picking and eating the flaxseed, it dies for you. So that you might live. You know, you're eating it, you crush it up, it dies for you, and you get a blessing from it. Jesus testifies of the same in John 12, 24. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. But instead of learning the principle of the flaxseed, we are working hard in our societies to get our blood pressure down by ourselves. Using our own efforts, usually with medications, even when we use lifestyle and God-given approaches, we often will take the white-knuckle approach. You know that one? The white-knuckle approach? Try harder and harder despite the failures. Notice the above graphic. In the United States of America, we are extremely aware now of who has blood pressure problems. Back in the 60s, it was only about 50%, but we're up to almost 90%, maybe in the 80s, who know that they have high blood pressure. The treatment has improved quite a bit from about 25 to 30% up to 70%. But look at the control numbers. You'd think we could have it under better control. We're only at 50%. You know, in school, if you get a 50% grade, how well are you doing? So clearly, our own efforts are not working very well. In fact, are we really trying that hard at all? Do we just need to try harder? And if you break it down by medication type, it doesn't look any better. If you notice this graphic, I'm sorry. If you notice this graphic, these are the various kinds of high blood pressure medications. And the worst one, beta blockers, that's metoprolol and carvedilol and any lol medicine, only 28% of people take it as prescribed according to the recommendations of the doctor. The adherence is horrible. Of course, they never tell the doctor this. And even the best medications, the angiotensive converting, uh, I'm sorry, the angiotensive receptor blockers, 65%, it's pretty horrible. Adherence rates. Why is this? Maybe it's because we don't understand ourselves. The Bible spells out the reason. Romans 7:18 says, "For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find." 
According to the text, there is something inside of us that keeps us from accomplishing the good things we need to do. You know, I was walking home from college one day, walking through um, a farm setting, and as I looked over to my right-hand side, I saw a flock of sheep, and in that flock of sheep, I saw one sheep particularly kind of standing there, and two sheep were crowded around the sheep, and one of the sheep that was crowded around started headbutting the, other, the middle sheep in the gut. Just over and over. And I stopped and I was like, what is going on over there? And then I saw the sheep that was looking on, crowded around, seeing him beat up the other sheep. He decides to engage in the game. And so they're both headbutting this one sheep on either side of the gut, and the, and the sheep is kind of going up like this. And I thought, isn't that just like humans? Beating each other up and taking the beating and not knowing what's good for us. Jeremiah also says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. Jeremiah 13, 23. Jeremiah later emphasizes it again in chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Wow. The biblical authors recognize something is amiss in the human heart. The same experience exists in the animal kingdom. Take the vole, for example, relatives of the mouse and hamster. The prairie and meadow voles, as you can see in the picture, are identical, except for one important distinction. The prairie vole is monogamous for life while the meadow vole is completely promiscuous. In fact, when raising children, the prairie vole male, the male vole, spends some 60% of his time in the nest, working on the nest, helping the female, while the female meadow vole raises her children alone. The difference appears in this case to be genetic. In the prairie vole, the oxytocin and vasopressin receptors are in the areas of the brain associated with reward and pleasure. So the, so the male vole, when it bonds to the female, experiences pleasure and stays with the female. While the metal vole does not have those receptors in, those, in that reward center, the stark contrast in bonding habits is remarkable and speaks to the brokenness that increasingly exists within nature. Could it be that there are also broken genetic, physical, emotional, and social pieces within us that lead us to desire to do the wrong things? Jesus Christ himself affirms the same experience. Finding his disciples sleeping at Gethsemane after having asked them to pray for him which turned out to be the most crucial moment, the hardest trial of his life. As he prepared for his crucifixion, he said to them in Matthew 26, 40 
and 41. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Also, as Jesus was heading to Jerusalem before the Passover, where he knew he would die, he heard from his disciples that there were some Greeks seeking to see him. But Jesus answers his disciples and said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then notice this statement that I quoted already. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And notice the, the statement that comes right after this. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so we see there in John 12 that there is a great irony with God. You keep your life, but you lose it. You give away your life, but you keep it. This concept is stated even more particularly in Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Did you see that? Could it be that the same concept is illustrated in blood? Is there a force in blood? Is there a force in the blood of Christ that can make me live like I've never lived before? Is there a force that can empower me to have good habits, good health habits, good moral habits, to do, what the, to do the good that I actually want to do? Amazingly, even though the life-giving blood that flows through our broken flesh ends in death. This verse says that with the shedding of blood, there comes life. This is the spiritual principle, the irony of God, that is foolishness in the mind of man. And when it comes to the force of blood story, the foolishness has been there right from the beginning. Whether we're speaking of high blood pressure or speaking of the loss of the force of blood through the shedding of blood, First, let's take a look at the first time we know of when blood pressure was measured and in essence discovered. The man who did it was Stephen Hales. Hales was a minister in Teddington, England as part of the Church of England in the 1700s. Then a full 200 years into the Reformation, God had placed the dangerous idea into thousands of men and women that the common man could read, explore and understand the Bible and learn about God for themselves. They didn't need a priest to do it for them. And this dangerous idea had spread into many areas of life, including music, art, nature, science, engineering. It was a time of great experimentation and discovery as the darkness of the dark ages ended. And so this minister, Hales, saw his experimental work as a duty to discover and wonder 
at the wisdom and goodness of God by studying his creation. Hales is recorded as saying, since animal fluids move by hydraulic and hydrostatic laws, the likeliest way to therefore to succeed in our inquiries into the nature of their motions is by adapting our experiments to those laws. And so Hales embarked on an experiment that I want to particularly mention this morning. Here is what he wrote about it. And you can see the picture on the screen. In December, I caused a mare to be tied down alive on her back. She was 14 hands high and about 14 years of age. Had a fistula or abscess on her withers. Was neither very lean nor very lusty. Having laid open the left curral artery, about three inches from her belly, I inserted into it a brass pipe whose bore was one-sixth of an inch in diameter and to that, by means of another brass pipe which was fitly adapted to it, I fixed a glass tube of nearly the same diameter which was nine feet in length. Then untying the ligature on the artery, the blood rose in the tube eight feet three inches perpendicular above the level of the left ventricle of the heart. When it was at its full height, it would rise and fall after each pulse, two, three, or four inches. You can see here, in this case, the carotid artery, the tube is in place. And you can see the blood rising up and the recordings made. Because of this experiment, Werner Forsman, a physician, at his Nobel Prize recipient acceptance speech for the development of cardiac catheterization, said of Hales, Stephen Hales was also the first in 1727 to determine arterial blood pressure when he measured the rise in a column of blood in a glass tube bound into an artery. But I think of that story, I think just as important of story, however, is the story of the discovery of blood, as the story of this discovery of blood pressure, that's a very important story. But I think just as important is the story of that horse. That horse gave up her life. That the force of blood in blood pressure may be understood. And as a result, many thousands of lives have been improved and saved because of it. And isn't this, my friends, the story of Christ? The Apostle Paul states in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, the, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The irony of God is this. The spiritual principle is this. The life is in the blood, but the shedding of blood gives Life as well. Here's the picture of the parish church of Teddington where that horse of Stephen Hales laid down her life for the cause of blood pressure, the benefits of which would not be borne out for many years in the future. 
Indeed, it was almost 200 years later that insights into the risks of high blood pressure began to be discovered, as phrased by he and McGregor. In the late 19th century, life assurance and mortgage companies were the first to realize that, higher, that the higher the blood pressure, the greater are the chances of dying at an early age. Despite the increasing understanding of the workings of blood pressure in the body and the recognition that high blood pressure may increase the risk of dying for the longest time, even as recent as the 1930s, there was no value given to its measurement. John Hay, professor of medicine at Liverpool University in 1931, attested to the same. He said, there is some truth in the saying that the greatest danger to a man with a high blood pressure lies in its discovery because then some fool is certain to try and reduce it. Oh boy. That was, that was an error. Let's see here. Sorry about that. The power of technology. Okay. Despite the foolishness underlying the, the belief of men like John Hay, when no doubt God winked at such ignorance, study after study after study have continued to bring truth to light, emphasizing the importance of blood pressure and the risks of excessive elevation to the point that he and McGregor at St. George's University in London boldly proclaimed in this article in the European Heart Journal in 2007 that blood pressure is the most important cause of death and disability in the world. Here again, God's irony is on display. Blood pressure, otherwise known as the force of blood, which maintains life in every creature, is proclaimed here as the most important cause of death? And by contrast, the spiritual principle of God is again acknowledged. The blood of Christ shed for us is exchanged for the force of man, feeble as it is, through death, thereby initiating a more powerful force from God for us that our consciences may be cleansed from dead works to serve the living God. Indeed, the Apostle Paul gets it right again in 1 Corinthians 1.27 when he says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put sh to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Now let's look more at the spiritual principle of the loss of the force of blood through the shedding of blood, starting with the first loss of human life. The story of Cain and Abel displayed this same irony. As it is written in Genesis 4, 2 through 5, Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel, and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. God had asked for a blood offering to symbolize how the human race would be saved. 
But Cain wasn't willing to kill an animal as an offering. But kill his own brother? That he could do. Here is why God required the shedding of blood as it is written in Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Life gives gives itself up to death so that this body of death may regain life. And so when it comes to improving our health habits, we need to forsake the usual human logic where here's the health problem, here's the medical treatment or the behavior change, health problem solved. For example, blood pressure, hypertension. Let's just take some medicine, let's just make a few changes, hypertension solved. Instead, we need to do the foolish thing and embrace the power of God. And according to 1 Corinthians 1.18, where is that power found? Look at the verse. Where is the power found? In the cross of Christ. In the cross of Christ. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In Romans 5, Paul identifies God's motive in developing a better plan. Read with me. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The word justified here means to make righteous. It means to do what's right. A similar thought is repeated a few verses later. For as by one man's disobedience we were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many shall be made righteous. Romans 5.19 And so here's God's love plan. I tried to break it down into a, a a concise idea. Forgive me if it's a little wordy. Mankind's brokenness right here. Genetic, physiologic, mental, emotional, social, relational. Our illness, our brokenness, our wickedness, our death. That was exchanged for the blood of Christ. In his life and his death and his resurrection. And he took all that up to his high priest ministry in heaven. And that equals God's glory and mankind's everlasting life and health where we receive love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, and what's the last one? How we need that in America, how we need that for our health. You know, I was talking with a colleague the other day, and we're, we're both working in the hospital full-time, and he said, there are four things that produce 80% of our admissions in the hospital. I said, really? He said, yeah, obesity, cigarette smoking, alcohol, and illicit drugs. I said, no, it can't be that much. 
He said, no, I think it's 80%. And so we were debating over how much failed health habits were putting people in the hospital. America's in trouble. America needs a new message. And so God's love plan includes all the things you need for health and everlasting life. Being cleansed from sin doesn't only mean receiving forgiveness from sin, which it does do. Praise God. But also it means that the blood of Christ makes us to live righteously, healthfully, and godly. Compare Leviticus and 1 John here. The force of blood keeps us alive, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. But the force of Christ's blood does more. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. According to Hebrews 9.14, we've seen that the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. But how is it that this works? Let's expand to look at the context in Hebrews 9. If you have your Bibles, please take time to look at that. If you've not looked at this verse before, these verses, take time to study them. They are impressive. So here we have it, the blood of Christ. This is the foolishness of God to man. Cleanses our conscience and makes us to serve a living God. So let's expand on this context a little bit more. If you look at Hebrews 9, you notice the first thing in Hebrews 9 is that there's a description of the earthly sanctuary. And as we go, we understand that Christ in verse 11 is actually in a heavenly sanctuary, a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. And so here we have a comparison, a, a reflection of that earthly tabernacle, that sanctuary from the Israelite Old Testament and also the heavenly sanctuary, what Christ is doing right now for us. And so I did my best to find a picture. I'm sorry that um, I didn't find a very good one. To illustrate what that sanctuary looked like. So how does this happen? That the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You have to study the sanctuary. That's what you have to do. You need to understand the sanctuary if you want to answer that in your life. So how do we get healthy forever? How can Christ be the priest of our health? Let's look at it in detail. The gate. John 10, 9 says, I am the gate, says Jesus. There's the gate right there. I'm sorry that this is so small. The gate was right there. And so you walk through the gate. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It doesn't matter how messed you up you are. It doesn't matter how perverted you are, how broken your brain is. Just come. Just come now. Don't wait. Come now. Don't wait till it's better. Come now. 
That's what the gate is. That's what the gate is about. Come now before it's fixed. Come now to Christ. The second step is the altar of burnt offering. The lamb was brought and laid down on the altar. The throat was slit. The blood was shed. The blood poured out. And in the same way, God is calling us to lay down our whole life. Lay down our whole life. You want to improve your health habits? Lay down your whole life. Luke 22, says, Not my will, but yours be done. Christ said, as he struggled right before his crucifixion. Paul, in Galatians 2.20 says the famous verse, I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Paul also says elsewhere, I die daily. And in Galatians 5.24 it says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The idea is that you give your whole self to God, your whole self, every part of you, everything to Him, and you let Him do with it what He will. The third step is the water. The laver, where the priests would wash their hands and their feet. And the water represents the idea that you must be born again, baptized with water and with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and you're born of water and the Spirit. And the Spirit clears up the confusion. You don't know what to do with your health. You don't know what to do with certain things. Ask for God's help. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help and he'll show you how to get it done. He convicts us of sin, righteousness and judgment. He's the comforter. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. From there, the blood. When we, when we died on our altar, when Jesus died for us, the blood was taken into the holy place. And so there's three main articles in there. The bread, the show bread, the candlestick with the light everlasting, and the altar of incense, where the incense goes up twice a day. And so let's look at each, each of these as it applies to what we're doing in our life to get healthy. Jesus said in six, uh, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. And he spoke of in John 6. I encourage you to read John 6. It's amazing. He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. The, the, his disciples couldn't handle this statement. But he was referring to the sanctuary. He was referring to that bread that would be broken. His bread that, is, that he broke his life for us. We are to eat that every day. Spend time with him. Take time with him every day. Twice a day. The light, the candlestick, is also there. Jesus said, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Stare at Jesus, that means. Stare at him, look and live. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And it also means share Jesus with others. You are the light of the world. And the incense, walk through this in your mind every day. The incense represents the prayers of God's people as it mixes with the incense. The Holy Spirit 
God knows what we need to pray, but we don't know, but we need to pray it anyway. And so the prayers of the saints are mingled with incense. You know, there's medical studies showing that when you kneel down to pray, when you pray, you know what happens to your brain? The frontal lobe of your brain, the blood flow in the frontal lobe of your brain goes way up. You know what that does? You know if you're struggling with a, a, a decision, you're longing for just another Pop-Tart, just another sweet cake. You know, you're longing to indulge, you're longing to just give yourself to gluttony, just to eat way more, for example. Pray. It strengthens your frontal lobe and the Holy Spirit can get access to you and help you to make the right decision. And then lastly, as those prayers are mingling, the incense flows into the most holy place where the mercy seat is, where the Shekinah glory is. As you reach into the, into the Ark of the Covenant, what do you find? The beautiful Ten Commandments. The beautiful Ten Commandments. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. He shall put within you the laws that He wants in your heart. Isn't that amazing? This is the walk we need to take to improve our health, not just try harder. And so let's review. The gate means come to Jesus as you are. Don't wait. The bloodshed, give yourself fully to him daily, morning and night, because that's when they sacrificed. Water, the laver, it represents the gift of his spirit to cleanse you. The bread represents our abiding in Jesus, spending time with him, studying him, Understanding him, eating him, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Spiritually speaking, light. As, we walk, as, we're, in the most, as we're in the holy place, the light means staring at Jesus, seeing him and his beauty and sharing him with others. And the incense, our prayers mingle with the Holy Spirit to the most holy place every morning. And every night. And lastly, the Ark of the Covenant, in the most holy place, the place where everything becomes perfect. We are at one with Him as He, day by day, hides His laws in our hearts, making us healthy, making us to do what's right. Even if we die, He'll resurrect us again. Amen? And so we walk this way to get healthy forever. And so as we think about Jesus, who during the Last Supper said, this is my blood of the covenant, which I shed for you, Mark 14, 24. Hebrews 5 as he started getting into the covenant discussion and the sanctuary discussion, said this about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him 
who was able to save him from death, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest. You know, when you start trying to do what's right, does it feel good? Does it feel good? There are moments when it feels very bad. There are moments when you just want that alcohol, or you just want that cigarette, or you just want that tenth piece of chocolate. And you know that God is calling you to stop. Jesus, in a massive fold, far greater than any suffering we will ever experience, chose what was right chose to do the right thing, even though it did not feel good. And it perfected him. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Suffering is good for the soul, and it's good for your health. And that's why the Bible says, be glad with suffering. Having gone to Gethsemane, he became deeply troubled and distressed. He said to his disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. How many of us can resist the avoidance of discomfort when we are coming to a moment of struggle? But Jesus' struggle was so much greater, as I said in Luke 22:44, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Great drops of blood? And so as I close this morning, I'm reminded of a story of my uncle when he was a young child. Growing up on the hospital compound in Nigeria, Africa, it was a typical day. His mother was in the house and he was playing in the house his mother being my grandmother. And she was attending to her duties within the house in a nearby room. And as she was attending to those duties, the child had gone somewhere else and she had not noticed it right away. And then suddenly, having heard nothing of concern, she began to have a very strong premonition a tremendous urge upon her mind to hurry, quickly, go outside at once to the well with the heavy metal lid on it in the courtyard. Your son has fallen into the water. At once, she ran out of the door to the courtyard. Nothing appeared amiss. No one was around. Nothing seemed out of place. She ran over to the heavy metal lid that was closed upon the well. An unseen force pushed her on. She grabbed that lid with two arms and heaved it up. And there was her son, gasping and struggling in the deep water, several feet down, starting to sink. She reached down as far as she could and caught hold of him. and with one great tug, pulled him up to safety. 
I think of that story and I think of us. How we are floundering in the waters of life, struggling with bad habits, bad health habits, sinful desires, ungodly choices. And then suddenly, Jesus Christ lifts up the lid. Within the darkness, we're struggling, about to drown, and he grabs us, and with one great tug, pulls us to safety. Do you want to engage in this kind of foolishness? Do you want to experience the power of God? And let Jesus pull you up out of the trouble that you're in. If you do, hold up your arm this morning. Think of one specific issue that you want Jesus to have mastery over in your life. He can do it. He is able. He has laid it all out for us. Bring to him your bad habits, your ungodliness, your brokenness. Lay it all on the altar.